I can't keep doing this to myself. I can't keep having these surgeries. I'm going to end up dying one day or, you know, my face is going to collapse. Um, you know, I'm just putting myself at risk and I'm never going to stop this addiction unless I do something drastic. The Profile with Premier Christianity Magazine. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hells, editor of Premier Christianity Magazine. We are the UK's leading Christian magazine and we publish stories, features, opinion pieces, reviews, the latest Christian books, fantastic columnists and loads more. If you want to stay up to date with all that God is doing in the UK church and beyond, Premier Christianity is a must-read. If you aren't already a subscriber, take advantage of our special offers right now at premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. If you go to our website, you'll find fantastic articles covering a whole range of topical issues affecting Christians in our world today. That's premierchristianity.com to check out all the best subscription offers. Every week here on The Profile, we speak to a different Christian to find out something of their life story, and we feature all sorts of different voices on this show. Well, this week is a bit of a first for us, a bit of an unusual one, perhaps, in that we're speaking to someone who only became a Christian relatively recently and has also been through a quite amazing journey to get to that point. My guest today is Ollie London. You may have seen Ollie in the news in recent years because he took the highly contentious and controversial decision to transition not only his gender but actually to transition to a different ethnicity or nationality. This decision resulted in Ollie being vilified in much of the media and of course online on social media as well. But in this interview you'll hear the full backstory of what led him to take those decisions. Turns out that Ollie suffered a lot of bullying as a child about his appearance. And as he went through his teens and 20s, he became, in his words, obsessed with Korean culture, moving out to South Korea, where plastic surgery, he says, was very much the norm. He says one in five Koreans have surgery and often want to look more Western. He felt what he was doing by having surgery to look more Korean in that context was not especially unusual. Nevertheless, it was, of course, a highly contentious decision. And as time went on, Ollie spent thousands and thousands of pounds, dollars on more and more surgeries. In his words, he says he became addicted to surgery, trying to change his appearance. And looking back, he says this stems from really unhappiness and identity issues in his own life. As time went on and Ollie was really searching for happiness, he decided not just to transition the way he looked in terms of his nationality, but actually to transition his gender, first becoming non-binary and then living as a trans woman. But that was not the end of the story, far from it. In today's show, you will find out how Ollie has actually left all of that behind. He's now living as a British man, which is how he was born. And the reason for that, it turns out, is because of his newfound Christian faith. I found it remarkable that despite all of the bullying and abuse that Ollie London has received on social media, in the end it was actually the kindness of at least one Christian that drew him towards faith. He's now saying that he wants to get baptised later this year. And as I say, he's at the beginning of his faith journey, but has clearly been through a lot in his life already. 
It's a pretty remarkable story, and you can read it in full right now on PremierChristianity.com. You're looking for the article headlined, After years of transitioning, I finally found my identity in Jesus. That testimony of Ollie London is one of hundreds we've published at PremierChristianity.com. So do check that out and share Ollie's story if you'd like. But without any further ado, let's listen now in full to Ollie London's story of transition followed by transition you're listening to the profile so pleased that ollie london joins me on the show right now hello ollie hey sam great to be on the show thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure to have you i mean what a journey you've been on i barely know uh, where to begin should we start at the beginning we would like to go back to the beginning here on the show and hear about a person's early life growing up so can you tell me a little bit about family and any memories you have of, of childhood yes yeah, so i had a very happy childhood um i grew up outside london in the countryside um i had a fantastic education and you know i grew up in the 90s so that was before we had mobile phones social media so it was a much more pleasant time to grow up i used to go out and play sports ride my bicycle um go for walks in the forest so you know it was a beautiful upbringing um compared to obviously today when kids spend all their time on social media and tiktok and things like that um so yeah my childhood was fantastic but when i was in my teenage years at school i was kind of viciously bullied um every single day about the way i looked about my identity people would say i was more feminine or i looked like a girl or no one would ever date me and I looked really ugly. So that's when I developed some self-confidence issues and identity. Um, you know, I started to question my identity. Um, and then my father was never very nice to my mother. So, you know, I don't speak to my father anymore and stuff. Um, so that has kind of, that gave me some trauma um, having to witness that. Um, and I guess, um, you know, all those things combined with the bullying, with the, you know, being told I was the wrong gender, being told I was ugly and the kind of seeing the way my father treated my mother, it kind of, you know, gave me a warped perception of the world. Um, and, you know, it made me very unhappy with my own skin and who I was. So um, I embarked on a path to try and change myself completely to something that was beyond recognition. So we are both then uh, 90s kids. I remember it well <laughs> growing up in the 1990s. And as you say, it was a kind of simpler time, kind of pre-internet. And um, it's an interesting observation, isn't it, that the, the world that kids are growing up in today is is far more uh, complicated and there is far more social pressure through social media than, than there was sort of back in our day, I suppose. But, you know, it's interesting what you say as well about bullying, clearly having a very profound effect on, on the way you saw yourself and... You know, bullying, it's not just words, is it? it these things can really alter, um, can really affect our identity if we take these words to heart. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you are bullied every single day of your life and you're told the same thing every day, that you're worthless, you're useless, you're never going to amount to everything, you're so unattractive, you look like a monster. If you're told that every single day, it's drilled into you. It's like indoctrination. So you start to believe these words. And also, when I would go swimming, I used to have um, a medical condition which is called gynecomastia so some guys it's called like man boobs that's the slang but it's some guys have kind of um, extra fatty tissue on their chest so I kind of had my chest kind of looked like man boobs um, and I used to get bullied when I go swimming and people would give me insults and stuff um, so you know later in life I would actually cut off all that fat and go through a very painful procedure to remove that based on the bullying so 
no, bullying words can have consequences. And if you're told the same thing again and again, you really start to believe it. And, you know, I was told I was like a girl or I had, you know, breasts and um, you know, all these horrible things. And I really started to believe it. And, you know, over the years, it kind of got drummed into me that, oh, I am born in the wrong body. I need to change. You know, I need to listen to these people. Maybe they're right. My memory of, of the 90s is is when it comes to conversations around things like transgender, it was either very little or almost non-existent. It wasn't really a thing at school that you would transition to be another another gender. I don't have actual memory as well. When was the first time that kind of became an option for you or something that was talked about in terms of having surgery or identifying differently? Yeah, absolutely. It wasn't like a thing that was discussed in society back then. And of course, there were transgender people. There have been transgender people for many years. Um but, you know, there wasn't an issue where we were debating them in women's toilets. You know, we we're debating transgender people in prison, women's prisons or, you know, self-identification. That wasn't a thing. And, you know, it was a much simpler time, a much better time. Um, and, you know, I'm glad I didn't have that as a kid because, you know, if I was told, you know, if I was surrounded by other people transitioning at the same time, I would have probably wanted to get the surgeries or the hormone therapy and stuff. And, you know, I would have lived with regret for the rest of my life. So... You know, kids have it much harder now, particularly in America, where, you know, they actually get access to puberty blockers, hormone therapy from the age of 13. Some teens can have double mastectomies at age 15 without parental consent um, in some states. So, like, it's a really difficult time now. And I think if I had grown up in a different era like now, I would have probably gone the full way. I would have gone through everything and, you know, I would have lived with regret. So, you know, kids have it really tough now. I missed the 90s. It was a nicer time. Everything was simpler. Even pop music was much nicer. We had less of the kind of, you know, anti-Christian videos that we do now. Like we've got Sam Smith's new music video, which I think is very offensive to Christianity. And also it sexualizes everything. And I, I think, you know, I miss the 90s and I'm grateful I grew up then. Because I think, you know, as extreme as my story has been, I think it would have been 10 times more extreme if I grew up now. And tell me a little bit about early life and faith. Were your um, family have any kind of faith or were you raised in a kind of more atheist environment? What was what was that like growing up? Um, so I actually went to a Church of England school. Um, so, you know, at school we did obviously religious education until secondary school, so until I was 16. Um, and I always loved learning about different religions. You know, I like learning about Islam, Muslim, um, sorry, um, Buddhism, um, Judaism, Christianity. I just find it fascinating. Um so, yeah, we used to go to church every week. And I remember, you know, doing Kris Kringle. We'd um, decorate the satsumas, uh, Easter eggs. We'd paint Easter eggs and roll them down the hill with the church and the vicar and stuff. So I have some very fond memories of going to church. You know, as a kid, sometimes your concentration span is not the best. And, you know, I wouldn't always pay attention when I was sat in the church listening to the sermon and stuff. Um, but, you know, I still remember a lot of positive things from that experience. Um but, you know, aside from that, as I became a teenager, I just became atheist. Um, I wasn't, you no, know, I was learning about religions, but I wasn't really taking an interest in it. And it was only until recently when I needed some direction in my life. And, you know, I thought back to those memories going to church and I thought, you know, that was a very welcoming place. That was a very inclusive place. Um, it was, you know, it was nice. Um, so I started going to church just to get some guidance and um, I've become fully Christian now. And it's... Um, just you know helping me get through life helping me be more positive and also you know teaching me like uh, with uh, what Jesus was teaching you know it's important to help other people so that's why I'm speaking up you know I want to help um, these teens and we have many teens now that are struggling with um, gender dysphoria or gender identity questions because of you know 
what social media is showing them, what pop culture like RuPaul's Drag Race is showing them, and, you know, other things which I wasn't exposed to in the 90s, but kids are being exposed to way too much now. I'd love to talk more about um, how you found Faith more recently, but before we get there, let's just uh, follow through the rest of your story, really. So you're saying your teenage years, you were atheist, and I suppose it was also your teenage years that you really fell in love, I suppose, with, with Korean culture. You know, Korean culture is such a massive part of your story. As I said at the beginning, this went on to you having surgery to, to look more Korean, uh, and we'll talk a bit about that. But just, just take you back to that moment where you first became interested in Korean culture, and just tell us a little bit of what that kind of led to in your life. Well, I mean, as a teenager, I would always read books on Asian history. I would always watch documentaries and films. I just found it fascinating. But it was actually age 23 that I moved to Korea. So before then, you know, I'd always been interested in Asian cultures. um, But I didn't know a huge amount about Korea. So it was, yeah, I moved to Korea just to teach English. um, Because I thought, you know, it's nice to travel. I can visit an interesting country. um, And I went there and just within literally the first week, you know, it was a little bit of a culture shock. Especially the food. And I'm vegan as well. So when I first got there, I accidentally ate some like little fish. I thought they were bean sprouts. So like that was a bit of a culture shock. But, you know, after I got over the culture shock, I just fell in love with the country. And I felt for the first time in my life, I'd found somewhere where I felt at home. I felt accepted. People were accepting me for being me. I wasn't getting bullied anymore. I just felt really good. So that kind of, yeah, I mean, I developed my interest in Asia in my teen years, but it was really in adulthood when I actually lived in Asia and experienced it that I really fell in love. Yeah. Do you know that makes sense, I think, to a lot of people who have similar experiences of traveling as a young person and and um perhaps not becoming sort of completely consumed by another culture to the to the same extent you did uh-huh. wanting to move there. But I think that's relatable that you would find another culture interesting. I think what people find harder to get their heads around is is the next step you took on that journey to then start to alter how you looked so you would look like another another race. Do you want to just unpack a little bit of your thought process at the time or why you wanted to not just live in Korea but actually start to look Korean? Well, it actually started with um, basically because of the way I was, you know, called names and bullied about my looks, particularly my nose. It really started with I just wanted to fix my nose. Um, so I had a surgery in Korea. And whenever someone lives in Korea, you know, plastic surgery is a huge part of their culture. It's the, the number one country in the world that has the most surgeries. There's a million different procedures performed every single year. Um, around one in five Koreans have surgery. So, you know, I was surrounded by that. I was in this new country, this new culture that... You know, it was so perfect. It was like something from a movie. And, you know, when you see all these perfect people looking around you and they're all successful, they're all, you know, singers or actors and K-pop stars. And you think, I wish I could be like that. You know, I wish I could be happy. I wish I could be smiling on TV and confident. And so it really started with a nose surgery. And I had the nose surgery and it went very wrong. Um, And actually, I was under local anesthetic for that surgery, which is actually bad. You know, you should always be under general anesthetic so I could hear everything going on and stuff. Um. So, you know, it didn't go well. The nose was crooked. So then I started to get more correctional surgery. And then it just became like a snowball effect. I just kept getting more and more, trying to fix things. And then I was trying to model myself on more of a Korean aesthetic. Um, You know, like the K-pop stars, all the, you know, the models that I'd seen advertised on um, billboards in Korea for plastic surgery clinics. I just thought, you know what, I want to look like that. I love this country. It's really nice. And then over the years, I just became more interested in Korea I felt more of an affinity with Korean culture than British culture. And I felt whenever I'm around Korean people in Korean places, I feel at home there. I feel accepted. I feel loved. I feel like one of them. So it was really just kind of a longing to be validated and to fit into a 
society and to be accepted and, you know, embraced for who I am. What did your Korean friends think of that? Um, you know, they were very supportive. I, you know, funnily enough, um, many foreigners that live in Korea, they never really leave um, because everybody kind of falls in love with Korea, whether they're going there for teaching English or, or whatever. So many people fall in love with that country. And a lot of these foreigners, just like me, they want to become Korean as well. You know, they learn the language. They actually have plastic surgery to look more Korean. They change their hair. They change their fashion, their makeup stuff. They actually change everything to fit into that culture because they love that culture so much. So it's really what I was doing was actually very common. Just the people in Korea, the, the foreigners, they will never admit that they want to be fully Korean or whatever. But, you know, they all, all fall in love with that culture. So, you know, if anyone goes to Korea, most of the foreigners look Korean because they try to have surgery. They do the eye surgery, nose surgery to have that particular look. And it's, it's just an amazing country. And it's, you know, easy to fall in love with it. Can you tell me a bit more about um, that time? Because there was obviously increased media interest and attention around you. And you know, I remember as well, there was quite a lot of anger, wasn't there? Because people were saying, you can't, you can't transition to be a different race. And this is incredibly offensive. And it's really interesting what you say about it actually being a common thing for people to do in Korea. Because I think for those of us who were just reading the newspapers and watching headlines, certainly in this country, it was probably the first, one of the first times that the general culture and the general public had heard of this idea of, of being transracial and having surgery to look like another uh, ethnicity so even if it's true what you say that, that this was common in Korea for, for most people when they heard about your story in the media this was highly unusual and there was a lot of negative press how did how did that affect you when you started to see headlines and, and commentators you know accusing you even of, of being racist because you were transitioning to look like another race you know it was very tough to see that and I did get a lot of hate I got a lot of death threats and stuff and I just thought you know I actually love Korea so much. I'm an ambassador for their country. I'm always trying to speak about Korean culture whenever I can. I'm always, you know, I even made a, a, a Korean art film that won a lot of awards at film festivals. Like I've, I really do a lot of projects to help Korea and support their culture. So, you know, I am the least racist person out there. But, you know, because I was doing something, you know, I was getting eye surgery to have to finish my Korean look. Um, you know, I'd done everything else. And like people found offense with that. And I just thought, hang on a minute. So many millions of people in Korea and China and Thailand, they have eye surgery to make their eyes bigger to get double eyelids. So they have a predominantly Caucasian feature. Uh, they also get higher nose bridge. They get uh, sharper jawlines, uh, bigger chins, which are all, you know, kind of features that we'd see on magazines of Vogue and, you know, the Hollywood ideal. So they were all doing that. So, you know, what I was doing was not unusual. And again, most of the foreigners in Korea were having surgery to look more like a korean pop star or something so you know i i didn't understand people's outrage in that sense because i was trying to be culturally appreciative and not appropriation but you know people would try to spin my words and say you're racist and stuff and i just thought you know, i also thought as well so hang on a minute so all of these woke people these woke warriors are saying that you are allowed to identify in any way you want and no one is allowed to question that so i thought okay if that's the case I say I'm Korean. Now, if someone can say they're the opposite gender and they can walk into a women's restroom and use that and, you know, nobody really protests, what on earth is wrong with me? Surely what I'm doing is less harmful because I'm just appreciating a culture. I'm not actively trying to take away the rights of women. So, you know, it was kind of, um, there was a lot of hypocritical people um, saying things to me and I was just thinking, you know, all these people, they support people changing gender or being non-binary or whatever they are why can't i just live in peace and just you know love a country the way i do 
And just just to fast forward just for a second to where you are now in terms of your views, because you've you've explained you know why you had those surgeries at the time and what your thinking was and how there was a context here of other people having similar surgeries to change the way they looked and and there being a, an ethnic kind of component to that. But fast forwarding to now, what are your views on that idea? So are you still in favour of people having surgery to change the way they look ethnically, or is that an idea now that you would say is wrong and that you, and that you regret doing? You know, I say for every single person, whatever they do to themselves is a personal decision. You know, if they want to have surgery to have bigger breasts or a smaller nose, that is entirely up to them. But I certainly think there's a lot of pressure on people to look a certain way in society. You know, when, for instance, in India, when you see a magazine cover, they whitewash many of the celebrities, you know, to whiten their skin. And then a lot of um, women in India will buy whitening products because they, you know, they want to look like a celebrity or they want to have this thing. So... No, there's all sorts of pressures out there, particularly in the entertainment, the fashion industry, that are pressuring people to look a certain way. Now we have the rise of K-pop, and K-pop has become one of the biggest genres of music in the world. Uh, BTS, the biggest boy bands in the world, it's become a huge phenomenon. So we're seeing an increase in people wanting to have that aesthetic, and it's exactly the same as you know a woman going to a plastic surgeon and saying, "Please make me look like Angelina Jolie." I want her lips. She embodies femininity to me. Or somebody going to Turkey and having a surgery to look like Kim Kardashian, they want her body because it's trendy, it's cool. So, you know, the surgery to change your eyes or nose or whatever is very common. And like I said, in Asia, many people have these surgeries to, to emulate uh, predominantly Caucasian features. Um, I don't see a problem in someone improving themselves, but I certainly think there's a problem with the pressures of social media pressuring young people to feel like they need to change um when they wouldn't have thought about that you know uh, if they're seeing kim kardashian or with all her filters and surgery they want to look like that but i think there's a problem with the way society is going how this is becoming more normalized and the you know increasingly young people are under pressure to undergo surgery when they wouldn't have had a problem otherwise i think that's more of an issue too many of us are living in a bubble and not hearing both sides of the world's important stories. It's time for a more rounded perspective. Balanced. Relevant. Discover fresh biblical perspectives as we bring you wide-ranging stories that impact the church, wherever you live, however you worship. Discover the go-to source for Christian news. Subscribe now at premierchristianity.com. Now only £5 for three months. And as time went on, as I said, you had over 30 surgeries. This was costing hundreds of thousands of pounds. I know, I know that you went to, you were in other nations, not the UK, because as far as I understand it, some of the surgery that you were having done was not possible here or, you know, many, many uh, plastic surgeons wouldn't, wouldn't do here, but there's more contentious surgeries elsewhere you would do. So you were flying all over the world, having different things done. Was there any point in that where you started to think, um, it, am I doing the right thing here? Um, I mean, you talked about one of those early surgeries going wrong. I, I imagine some people's response to that would be, "Oh dear, my first nose job went wrong. Let's not let's not mess around my body again." It's it's interesting how you had the opposite experience, and you thought that surgery went wrong. I'm going to have another one, and then another one, another one. Was there a kind of addictive element to this? Yeah, I mean, there definitely was in retrospect. I mean, I I literally set out just to change my nose. I thought if I change my nose. It's going to be the solution to all my problems. I'm finally going to be happy. And I think that's how a lot of people start. They think, you know, it's a quick fix. It's going to give you lifetime of happiness. Same with someone that changes their gender. They feel like if they have the surgery, all of their depression, all of their mental health struggles are going to go away. And it's simply not the case. Um, 
you know, after a while that temporary serotonin boost wears off and then you want more. So yeah, it started out initially just wanting to fix my nose and then because it went wrong, I felt like I had to fix it and then it went wrong again. So I had to fix it. And then it kind of became, yeah, kind of like an addiction I was doing, you know, I was going under anesthetic several times a year um, for the last few years, um, putting myself under more pressure. Uh, my last surgeries, I had 11 surgeries in one day. Like I was putting myself under more pressure, more extreme because, you know, the more surgery that you do, the more you kind of want because you kind of are looking for unrealistic expectations. And, you know, I was trying to look like a K-pop singer and, you know, they are very perfect looking and uh, it was very hard to achieve. And uh, you know, I was just trying to improve myself, feel happy, but it did kind of become an addiction. And, uh, you know, it's harmful because I did go to five different countries to have surgery, the UK. You know, most of the doctors were too conservative for what I wanted. They wouldn't perform certain procedures or they wouldn't, you know, do certain things that I was requesting. So I would just go to foreign countries that, you know, wouldn't say no to me basically um so yeah so it was kind of a uh, an addiction that happened over time due to a few surgeries going wrong and and again these things are always easier with hindsight but just based on what you've you've said so far you've talked about some of the bullying you experienced as a child and and a lack of self-esteem you know correct if i'm wrong but but is it almost as simple as with hindsight thinking if I had people around me who were building up my self-esteem as a child and as a teenager, if I had confidence in who I was, none of this surgery would have happened. Yeah, I think if I would have had a different experience as a teen, you know, if people were more kind to me, my appearance, um, I would never have considered that because I didn't really think about plastic surgery until I was in Korea, until I saw it, you know, all over, like the subway stations, there were surgery adverts literally everywhere. Um, so, you know, I didn't really think that was an option as a teenager, you know, cause I grew up in the countryside, so I didn't see plastic surgery as a thing. You know, I heard about it a few times in the news, but I didn't think it was an accessible thing. Um, so, you know, I think if I hadn't, if I had been treated differently, if I hadn't been bullied for my looks, you know, I might have not had those self-confidence issues. Um, and then I might not have, you know, gone on such a drastic journey. Um, you know, I think a lot of that is maybe repressed memories from all the years of bullying. And the trauma, in order to try and deal with that, I underwent surgery, put myself through pain, mutilated myself to try and, uh, you know, to try and get over that trauma instead of just dealing with it and speaking to a therapist. We've spoken a lot about um, what you were doing in your 20s in terms of surgery and self-esteem, but but tell me more broadly what was going on. So what did your kind of career and, and work life look like uh, in this period in your 20s? Were you living in South Korea for a long time? What were you doing for a job? Um, yeah, so I was in Korea for a year, so I was doing English teaching, and I did some traveling, I spent some time in America, did some charity projects in Africa, so I did a lot of traveling as a teen, um, and then I started, um, once I got back to the UK, I started doing personal shopping, um, you know, I started as a stylist and a personal shopper, so I worked with a lot of celebrities, I met Kim Kardashian, Demi Moore, Charlize Theron, so I met a lot of people, um, you know, helped prime ministers from different countries shop and stuff, um, like in women's wear, dress them for red carpets and stuff so I got into that and then after that I launched my own um, PR company so I have a PR company it's based in London LA um, with my business partner and um, you know now I help make influencers um, you know help them get um, publicity get them on TV shows I produce TV shows as well I also do a lot of TV shows myself um, so it kind of started from yeah I did the teaching I did some traveling then I got back to UK I got into the kind of the luxury fashion world 
worked my way up from there, started the PR business because I, by that point, I had a lot of clients, you know, either celebrities or influencers and stuff. So kind of went from there. And now I do, you know, all sorts. I do TV producing, I do TV presenting, um, social media, um, and still have my PR business, which does uh, very well. And so much of, of your life has been lived kind of in public with, as you say, with social media, with people kind of following your, your every move. And there's been there's been a lot of changes, hasn't there? There's There's been, uh, you know, you were started obviously as male. It was then um, non-binary. It was then trans woman. And now you are saying, correct if I'm wrong, you're now saying you identify as male, as he. And the other massive change that's that's kind of part of your story is, is the faith change of going from, from atheist to Christian. So do you want to just talk me through a little bit about how you've got to where you are now? Yeah, so again, it was, you know, everything that happened throughout my life, I was really just searching for my soul. I was searching for my identity and I was struggling to find that. So the reason I underwent these kind of crazy transformations and different identities was literally... I didn't know who I was, you know, uh, for so many years, I didn't know who I was. And I was searching for who I was as a person. Um, so it took me, you know, all these years until last year to find myself. And, um, you know, I got to a point last year where I transitioned, I'd had facial feminization surgery, I had the hair extensions, just wearing the women's clothes. And I was just, you know, feeling lost. I still felt, you know, for three months after the surgery, I felt fantastic. I felt this new me, everybody celebrated me, I'm getting loads of praise. You know, people think this is who I'm meant to be. But then after that, it just, it was a temporary fix. Again, like all the other surgeries, it was a temporary fix. And I realized, you know, I'm still not happy. Um, I can't keep doing this to myself. I can't keep having these surgeries. I'm going to end up dying one day or, you know, my face is going to collapse. Um, you know, I'm just putting myself at risk and I'm never going to stop this addiction unless I do something drastic. So then I started, you know, I started going to church and, um, just because, I, you know, I remembered as a kid when I at the Church of England school, I'd go to church and it was just, uh, I had some positive memories. So I thought, you know, maybe this can help me get on the straight and narrow. Maybe this can help me, you know, give me some direction in life. Um, and, you know, I just remember everyone was so kind and so welcoming. And I wasn't used to that because I get so many hate, you know, hate messages on social media and stuff and, you know, some not so nice news articles. And I thought, you know, I finally found a community that's actually nice to me. They don't know who I am. They accept me for me you know, and they're trying to guide me. And um, one of the, the priests, um, one of the services I went to, you know, gave me a copy of the Bible, was talking to me. He said, I'm welcome anytime. And I've been going very regularly now. Um, and it's just been a helpful process. Um, I have been reading the Bible. I've been reading some of the Psalms, um, some of the Proverbs. And, you know, it's helped me realize that you know, there's more to life than having plastic surgery or trying to change my identity. I should just be happy with the way God made me. I should just find love from within you know and um you know not go, not embark on these crazy stories which were unnatural and you know me trying to be someone i'm not so you had this experience of, go, of going into this church and you're now reading the bible i mean what what's next for you spiritually because you're really kind of at the beginning aren't you still of, of this journey because you've gone from from atheist to now going to church regularly are there sort of certain milestones or things you're looking ahead to to doing to kind of grow your faith and understand understand more yeah, I mean, I definitely want to use, you know, it's I'm still very early stages in my faith. I'm still discovering a lot of things. I'm still learning. Um, I do want to get baptized um, this year. But, you know, I want to use my particular story of, you know, I was really going through some struggles, some identity crisis and some very dark times. And, you know, I want to, you know, show the world and show people that despite whatever you go through, no matter how difficult life can be, if you can find faith, it can really pull you from the abyss. 
and which is exactly what it did with me. You know, I was at the end of the road. I was so unhappy, very, very unhappy with who I had become. And, you know, it pulled me out of that. And, you know, I just want to be able to demonstrate to others that no matter what your life situation, no matter how difficult you can get through this um, and finding faith can really help someone on that journey. You know, believing in God, praying, um, going to church, being a part of a community is an incredibly helpful um, process. And, you know, I, I encourage everyone to do that. And um, I'm actually releasing a book uh, later this year. Um, I've got a I can't say which publishing company, but I've got a U.S. publishing company. Um publishing my book and um, it's going to be about my detransition but I'm going to talk about how the faith helped me through my detransition and how it helped me become you know what I am now is more of an activist um, so I've taken a break from doing my music and I'm trying to help people I'm trying to prevent teens making these mistakes you know going through these surgeries when they're not even ready to decide if that's the best thing to do um, so I'm doing that um, I'm also going to be doing a lot of public speaking across America um, you know, at some uh, conservative political conferences and churches and stuff, just trying to help um, other people, you know, find faith and also help um, parents of these teens that might be struggling with, um, you know, identity issues and try and guide them through that. So, um, yeah, I have a lot in the pipeline and um, trying to devote much of my time to activism. I'm going to be doing some charity work in Philippines um, very soon, um, helping with some... Um, children's charities and women's charities um, trying to help disadvantaged um, youth you know with education and healthcare and stuff so you know I'm really trying to uh, you know thanks to my faith I'm trying to help people rather than just be you know online just entertaining people and stuff which is all very meaningless you know I want to actually make a difference. I know the story of Jesus hitting the leper had a pretty profound effect on you do you want to tell me just how how that story had real personal meaning for you and what that meant? Yeah, I mean, I remember when I was in um, church one day, they were, the priest was talking about that. And I was like, I had heard that story before and I found it very interesting because, you know, in the Bible, a leper, you know, thousands of years ago, people didn't understand what leprosy was. So they really wouldn't go near these people. And Jesus was the only person to go to this leper that was rejected by society, that nobody would go near this person. Nobody would even offer help or prayer to this person. And Jesus walked up to this person and, you know, took his hand and washed him and you know and a modern equivalent of that is princess diana when she would hold the hands of aids victims you know it takes away the stigma so jesus doing that and helping someone that nobody else would even look at you know change the perception of people with leprosy and you know it encouraged to be kind to others that are suffering and i thought that was a very powerful thing because i was suffering um i was suffering with my identity issues and you know the way i'd been treated by people you know over the years um and I was suffering and I just felt like, you know, Jesus or God has had touched me to, you know, say that I'm, no, I'm not going to be a societal reject anymore. I have purpose in life. People can show me kindness and stuff. So I feel that was an amazing, amazing story, an amazing analogy that, you know, no matter what you might think of a person, you know, you should always be kind to others and help people and try to understand their situation. And also encourage others to be kind. You know, don't just reject this person's society. Help them. Offer them a helping hand. Offer them guidance. Offer to wash them and cleanse them of their sins. So, you know, I found that was a very powerful um, story. Absolutely. And uh, it, it strikes me as well that you're, you're saying two things that are both true, but we need both of them. Because on the one hand, you, you express some fairly strong opinions about the kind of transgender movement and your concern for young children growing up today. And you're saying 
kids really need to think very, very carefully. And actually, kids shouldn't be allowed to do some of the stuff that that you've done. And and um, mm. we shouldn't be encouraging kids into into these surgeries so early, etc. But the and the, the, you have strong views on that. But at the same time, you're also saying. Don't forget Jesus, the story of the leper, those who society treat as outcasts, which would include transgender people who are vilified. Don't forget we have to love those people, reach out to them. And it strikes me that both are really important for you, that you, you want to do the yeah. campaigning on the trans stuff and say some things just aren't right, and my personal story kind of proves that. But you also want to do it with love, and from a Christian perspective of saying, actually, Jesus loves everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I believe in compassion and kindness for all. So, you know, there are some people that generally become trans and they're happy their whole life. You know, there are people like that. But also there are people that are struggling right now and they are being encouraged to transition. You know, you've got in some schools in America, you know, very young children being taught, you know, they're reading books about changing their pronouns or even books about sexual things and stuff, which is just absolutely shocking. Um, And then you've got, you know, kids going to these drag shows where they have sexually explicit content so i'm trying to you know i'm very compassionate i'm compassionate to all these people i'm trying to understand them i'm also trying to help the people that need the guidance because there are a lot of these teens that are being pressurized to do something they wouldn't have thought about otherwise like i said in the 90s you know when i grew up it wasn't such a thing there were still people that were transitioning or transgender but it wasn't like you know, all the kids wanting to do it, all the kids wanting to be non-binary. So, you know, I am believe in compassion and kindness. And I, I want to help um, anyone that's struggling with their identity, whether they're, you know, trans, non-binary or whatever. And like I said, I, I believe some people will be happy with their decisions for their entire life. But I believe that many of these young people are being pressurized into something that they wouldn't have thought about otherwise. And, you know, that is a real harm. So I want to offer these people, you know, my hand and try and help them and you know from my personal experience offer them guidance but in a kind way you know i i am calling out these um you know some of these trans activists which are kind of very extreme um you know particularly in america again um the things they're trying to push on children um is absolutely shocking um you know i am calling them out as well because i think certain things need to be called out because if nobody speaks up it's almost like you're complicit you're allowing this to happen so you know if people don't fight back if people don't speak up we're going to see you know as we're seeing now with society we had the balenciaga horrific child cam- exploitation campaign last year and now you know this week we've got sam smith's new music video which mocks christianity and also pushes these very shocking sexual deviances on you know a young audience which will watch this video so you know i believe it's important to call things out and, and fight back against things that are not helpful for children but again you know i will always be compassionate and kind to people that are struggling with identities so you know if i'm speaking out it's not from a place of you know hating on a certain group i'm not i'm just trying to help people Uh, yes and is is it not true as well though that some of the things you're now campaigning against you were completely in favor of only a year or two yeah absolutely i mean you know some people will call me a hypocrite and stuff but also other people will see that look Yes, I did say those things before. I know I said those things before because at that time I generally believed it. But, you know, I feel like I've, I'm awake now. I've had an awakening. I've woken up to what is going on in the world. And, um, you know, it's it's not a question of are these things happening? Because you were seeing in Scotland just uh, very recently there was a male rapist in the women's um, a women's in, uh, unit, you know, in a prison. And this person only transitions after committing the crime so you're just you know you're seeing these crazy crazy things and you know if i don't you know i i can speak from experience because i was trans i did have gender struggles 
But, you know, I think the self-identification thing, which I was doing before, I admit to that, I think it's harmful if anyone can just identify and, you know, like a man identifying as a woman so they can get into a women's prison. Or now we're seeing, again, in Scotland, there was a, uh, a man that changed to a woman after committing murder and now identifies as a baby and the prison are now providing him with nappies and a dummy and holding his hand when he leaves the cell. And this is the murderer. Um, and, you know, it's just really gone too far that we're accepting these identities and we're going along with it, you know, and then we're pushing away women's rights or we're putting kids at risk. So again, I believe in if people want to identify in a different way, like I support, if people want to be trans, I support that, but I don't support, uh, you know, those people taking away the rights of others or causing harm to others, which is women and which is children. So I don't believe in causing harm to others. If, you know, if someone wants to, let's say a man wants to dress up, be a woman, okay, go for it. But don't then go to society and push for, you know, um, to go into a woman's toilet or push for a child that's five years old to be taught these idea ideas. I think, you know, people should uh, kind of just be happy, whatever they want to do, go for it, but just don't cause harm to others. Can you help me uh, understand, I guess, the process you're now detransitioning? What does that actually mean or, or look like for you as someone who was identifying as non-binary or as Korean, who is now identifying as, as male in English? Are there... Is this a case of more surgery? Is this a case of just diff dressing differently? What does detransition mean to you practically? Um, so basically, I started off the process. I actually cut all my hair off. Um, so that was the first process because I had long hair. I had hair extensions and stuff. And then that immediately made me feel, you know, more masculine again. Um, and then I've been working out. I've been taking supplements, trying to be, you know, more fit and healthy, trying to have more of a masculine body. Um, you know, I'm not wearing makeup anymore. i am got rid of all my feminine clothes. Um so, you know, it's it's not an overnight process, um, but I'm just trying to... It basically, I'm trying to rediscover the real me. You know, I'm trying to rediscover the me before all those surgeries, all the identical problems, and just get back to my roots, you know. Um, get back to being a better person and just get over this obsession with wanting to look a certain way, wanting to be someone else that I'm not. Um, so, yeah, it's been an, an interesting process. And, you know, it's not an overnight process. Um, I'm feeling quite yeah. happy now. Obviously, my face is quite feminine because I had the facial feminization. So I had all of my bones shaved down to make it more feminine. I had an eye surgery, a facelift, a lip lift, etc. So, you know, I, I'm trying not to go the surgery route because I just think it's never going to end. I'm trying to get over that now. But I do recognize that my face is still very feminine. And maybe in the future, you know, Will I do another surgery to make it more masculine? I don't know. I'm just trying not to go down that route because I think it's not going to make me happy at the end of the day. Yeah. I was going to ask as well, how confident, I guess, can you be that this is this is the end of the journey for you in terms of the, the struggle, I suppose, around gender and identity? And, and even for someone who might be looking on and say, well, Ollie, this is great. I'm really happy. I'm really happy you're happy. But I look at the last few years and you have been non-binary. You've been female. You're now male. You know, for someone looking on, they might say, you know, skeptically, is this really the end of the story? Who knows what Ollie might do in three months' time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, sometimes I question myself because, again, I've had all these different identity struggles and that really stems from these repressed memories, these traumas, all this bullying and stuff and just never fitting in. Um, but, you know, I'm dealing with those issues now, whereas before I wasn't dealing with them. I was repressing all of these memories. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't dealing head on. Now I'm dealing with these things head on. I'm going to church. I'm going to a therapist and stuff. I'm trying to find the real me. I'm, I'm, you know, devoting my time to doing charitable causes, to advocacy work. So, you know, I'm doing things that are positive, that are helping 
me and also helping other people. Whereas before, I was really just doing everything for myself. You know, you can call it narcissistic. I was struggling with my looks and everything. But, you know, I was just focused on looking a certain way, being a certain way, trying to fit in, trying to be, you know, um, a different person. And, you know, now I've managed to defeat that um, and just find the real me. And, you know, I'm doing all these things to counteract my past um, and to move on from these traumas and these repressed memories and um, you know, be a better person. So, you know, I don't see myself, you know, I might have a surgery in the future. I can't say no to that, <laughs> but I'm trying not to. But, you know, I don't think I will ever go back to, you know, struggling with my identity again. I think now I finally finally found the happiness this is the end road um and you know i'm just gonna go onwards and upwards from here well i know there'll be many people listening to this who will testify to the same thing as you which is when they've found god and had a new life in jesus that that they find a new identity uh given a new identity in him and um i don't normally do this ollie but i'd love to know how we can be praying for you and and I don't normally do that at the end of interviews, but I'm going to make an exception for you. And that is just because of what you've shared. You've, you've shared so openly about such personal things. Mm. And I'm aware you've said as well, your faith is quite new. And I know many people listening to this would love to be praying for you and supporting Thank you, you as you go more into faith and understand more about uh, th- th- this faith you have. And I know many people will be so encouraged as well to hear that the early days of your Christian faith has had such a dramatic and, and positive effect on your life and they'd love to be praying. So anything practically that listeners can be praying for you? Thank you. Well, firstly, I really appreciate that. And I really appreciate um, the Christian community because since I shared um, my story last year, I've had some incredible kind messages from many Christians, you know, that have said they're praying for me on a daily basis. So I appreciate that. And, you know, if people are going to pray today for me, I would actually ask them to pray for the advocacy work I'm trying to do, particularly in America, trying to help these teens um, that are being pushed into these surgeries and also help these parents with guidance. So if people were able to pray for these um, teens and these kids that are kind of almost being indoctrinated, you know, that's kind of a loaded word, but kind of being indoctrinated to believe in certain things, change themselves when they would otherwise be happy. So if people could pray for these kids and their parents um, across the world, um, that would be amazing. Well, Oli London, it's been a pleasure to chat. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much, Sam, and thank you to everyone listening. God bless you all. You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine.